fade in on Harbor Vale, a sleepy town in coastal Maine, its residents continually harrowed by an unyielding mist that intrudes from the Atlantic. And, much like the town, veiled by this persistent precipitation, its residents veil secrets of their own. Secrets of an ancestral curse and the desire to embrace it. Secrets of justice, distributed in the shadows. Secrets of newfound duty and a life left behind. Secrets of bestial instinct, clawing its way to the surface. And as we cast our eyes towards these silent secrets, we shall delve even deeper into what truly transpires down by the bay. Hello, and welcome to These Silent Secrets. My name is Zach, and I'll be your MC. Where last we left off, our terrific teens, after dropping their important package off at one of two storage containers, split off into two groups. Avery and Kanan headed off to the hospital, while Jason and Isla went to school. After a long day, everyone is totally separated now as Isla headed to work, only to find the station in disarray and Mark missing, Jason receiving a new assignment, Kanan having a nice dinner with their father, and Avery on the hunt. Today's episode is going to be a little different, much like we did, I think, in episode 12 of this year's show. We decided to bring back something that we honestly had a lot of fun making, what we're referring to as monologues from a monster. Every, you know, 10 episodes or so, we're just going to do a little, uh, little scripted bit. A chance for my fantastic players to give you all a little insight into what's going on in their characters' heads. So today's episode will be one of those, picking up right where we left off in the last episode. I'm very excited for you all to hear it. Before we dive in, of course, a few thank yous to get through. First and foremost, big thanks to uh, Chase Greenlee and to Ghostlight Media for hosting us, making sure the show goes out on time and make sure it's nice and sparkly for you all. A uh, big thank you to uh, Doc Adam VO for getting our transcripts going. We'll be sure to have some more for you very, very soon. And as per usual, you can find those in the link uh, in the description of this year episode. And of course, a big, big thank you to my wonderful wife, Nicole Tuttle Rob, for scoring this episode, making sure all of our social media is on point. Fantastic. Make sure to send her a little bit of love. A few updates, announcements. Um, any Ohioan listeners, we, I believe the whole gang, all of us will be at uh, Akatacon, which is a gaming convention that will be in Dayton, Ohio. The first weekend of November, so I believe that is November 4th through the 6th. If you want any information on that, you can find it at kickstarter.com slash projects slash the RPG Academy slash Akatacon dash 2022 slash description. It's a lot. Listen back. Find it. Tickets are pretty cheap. Uh, I think a, a full weekend pass is maybe $45, um, but hop on there. Come hang out with us. We'll have a booth, all of Ghostlight Media, myself, Nicole, Freddie, Marcus, Mariah, and a bunch of other people from Ghostlight Media, I think, are going to have a whole booth there. Uh, we may be a part of a couple of panels. Um, so check it out. And like the last couple of episodes, wait around to the very end of the episode to hear a commercial for a show we think you'll very much like. But with all of that out of the way, all that is left is the episode. So let us dive in. To this episode of These Silent Secrets, Down by the Bay.
A lot can happen in a week. Betrayal, fear, loss, danger, rage, but also love, friendship, support, kindness. In the case of our terrific teens, they've experienced all of the above. Only seven days and their total perception of their world has shifted into the stuff of nightmares. And yet, they have refused to let those nightmares dissuade them from their goals. And with a little luck, their gifts, and each other, they may just hold back the tide of darkness that threatens to consume their homes. Our camera pulls up quickly on the rain-soaked town, and we see a faint trickle of smoke rising from below the patio awning of the Talbot's home. We move through the window to the sight of Kanan and their father finishing up their meal of ribs and buffalo chicken dip. Elias takes the plates to the sink and waves Kanan off to go start on their homework. Kanan heads to their room and retrieves a familiar journal from their bag, sits down, and begins writing. Journal Entry, October 9th, 2009 It's been one week. One long, arduous, painful week. I have no idea where to begin, and I have even less of an idea of where this will all end. Part of me doesn't even want to write a lot of it down, because if I immortalize it on paper, then it will be harder to forget, and much of this week I would rather just forget but we all know that won't happen. Right now, things are... weird. There's no better way to put it. You read books, or watch movies, or play video games, where the people go on these wild adventures and are pit against monumental obstacles, and a part of you thinks, Wow! I'd love to go on an adventure like that someday. But when it's happening to you, it's different. When it's happening to you, it isn't just some fun, wacky fantasy. When it's happening to you, it's real. The fear is real. The tears are real. The pain... The pain is real. In the story, when a character gets stabbed in the back by someone they trust, it's just a twist. It enhances the story. But when it happens to you... The twist is the twisting of the dagger in your insides, the burning pain, the the hurt. It's just, it's different. The story isn't enhanced, but instead, it's you that has to become enhanced. It's you that has to dig deep and decide that you are going to write how this plays out. How the story goes. It's up to you. It seems now, all of us have to pick up the pen. All of us has to put ink to paper and try to become the author of our own narrative. Jason, my best friend. I know what he is, but more importantly, I know who he is. I can't even imagine what he is going through. I know he plays it really cool on the outside, and part of me feels like he does that just for us, so that we won't feel down, so that we won't feel bad. But on the inside, I know he does too. I know he is hurting. 
and I wish I knew how I could help him with it. How I could just use these claws to rend his sorrow and rake his hardships away and just help. And Avery, we aren't great friends, but we're becoming good friends. And I can tell she is a good person. She's trying so hard. She wants so badly to help. She wants others to feel like they can fly the same way she literally can. But the winds are rough. She lives in a world of fear, but somehow she doesn't back down from it. She steps up to it, calls it out by its name, and is just somehow ready to go toe-to-toe with it. She is... She's going through a lot, too. And I almost can't believe what happened to her grandma. But I do believe it. Because I've seen... I've seen what lurks down there in the deep. Which leads me to Isla. I've seen her here and there, and I listen to her show, but we've only just really met. And I can already tell she is so much more than what's on the surface. (laughs) She seems like a sweet girl, but she is a raging storm. She is wrath made mortal. I have no doubt in my mind that she will do whatever it takes to get what she wants. And honestly, I envy that about her. Her ability to take what she is, to take that ferocity, that power, and to wield it effortlessly and unapologetically. You know, it's odd. Objectively, I'm the biggest monster of our little pack. Yet, I feel like I'm the most timid, the most afraid, the most reluctant to use what I've got. I'm realizing that if this story is going to have a happy ending, that needs to change. The wolf inside me The beast? I need to tame it. No, maybe tame isn't the right word, but entreat with it. Become friends with it. Embrace it. Avery has it right. We all have something inside us. It's up to us to choose how we view it. As a curse? Or a gift? And... If anyone tries to hurt my family or friends, I'll show them just how gifted I am. We pull away from our journaling werewolf and tear through the sky, through the pelting droplets and thunder to another nearby neighborhood. We ease into the living room of the Chens, where we come upon Jason, having just crushed his latest assignment stone beneath his heel. He heads back up towards his father's office, but on his way, his mind wanders. Take a big sniff. Right now, through your nose, just one of these. How's that feel? Does it work? Both nostrils, was it easy? If it really was as easy as, well, breathing, you should appreciate that. Take a moment right now to breathe in and out. You really notice it. How it feels when it's normal. Because the next time you feel sick, or have a cold, or even just the slightest sniffle, this is everything you're going to want. The normal. And everyone's normal is different. 
Normal is simply the benchmark against which worse is measured. And obviously, if something isn't normal and it isn't worse, then that leaves the secret third option better. And well, things are not normal right now. Many things are worse. I got into a staring contest with the mystic eyes of having a bad time, and I definitely blinked first. Blinked? Blunk? Blinked. Anyway, Kanan uh, is out there unleashing the beast, which, you know, normally I'd encourage, but it's been under less than ideal circumstances, and I, I don't want them getting hurt. And Avery's whole grandmother is in the hospital, and that's rarely where you want her to be. Isla's boyfriend is in my basement, but not in his own mind, and clearly Isla feels a strong way about that. Almost a strong enough way to do something about it. And speaking of that, there's also Hadriel, the ghoul in the morgue. And here's the tough part, you know, they're living their normal life, Hadriel. They're doing what they normally do. They are breathing with both nostrils. But for someone, that's the problem. That's the worst. I don't even know what they're doing. I don't even know why they're doing it. Hell, with how the system has been working these days, I don't even know if they did do. And operating like that used to be my normal. But now, that's my worst. The old better needs to be the new normal. But there are some betters out there. Isla didn't go out and cause an incident, so that's good. I asked Avery out to morning dinner, and I think she said yes, so that's good. And Kanan, I think they're getting better acquainted with their beast. Weird circumstances to cause that aside, that's good too. But something out there is bad. Something in the town, something in the water, something that wants to disrupt. And smoothing that something out so that most don't even notice a change, that's what my job is. Take another sniff. Does it feel different, better, or worse? What I would hope for, assuming you weren't already sick during this entire exercise, obviously, is that it feels the same. But there's a catch to this, as there always is. Maybe your breathing is the same. But somewhere out there, someone else is a little stuffed up because of what you did. And you might not have noticed. It's as automatic and normal as breathing. But that's what this exercise is all about, right? Paying attention. Examining what you do when you're not thinking about it. And then maybe, if you notice something possibly harmful, you can make that normal better, and then that better normal. Because if you don't, well, we, we all like breathing. And I'd hate to be the flu. As his hand reaches the doorknob of Evan's office, we move down the hall and out the window. We fly clear across town to the local radio station. We come to the front doors and follow a trail of destruction. Standing in the tech booth of the studio, we come across Isla, who still stands holding Mark's blood drop marked vest as Lady Snucklesdown's concerned meows sound in the background.
Mark? Mark? He has to be here somewhere. I don't think he even leaves this place. Yeah, he's here. I'll check his, um... Office? Does he even have an office? He's always just in the lobby drinking coffee or refilling his coffee or making more coffee. His best is here. Maybe he, I don't know, spilled coffee on it? How humans drink that, I'll never understand. Ugh. The smell it leaves on their breath. Ugh. Have you seen Mark, LSD? Ah! Has he been here today? Ah! Did he tell you where he was heading? Ah! Ah! Right, I'm talking to a cat. Cats can't speak. Guess land animals lost that talent when they came ashore. Ugh. This human world. This messy, scary, unforgiving world. Dad always warned me about leaving the water. He said the things up here would never understand our kind. That they were selfish and destructive. They saw the ocean as their playground. Their dumping ground. I remember... Dad would sneer at the surface when a boat would go by. He would collect the trinkets that floated down to the sand and shove them so deep into the sea cave that they never saw the light of day again. I always knew when something from the human world had made its way down to our farm. Dad would be late for dinner and he would be silent. He would stab his food with his fork and clench his jaw so tight as he chewed. There was a fire in his eyes that the water couldn't put out. One night as he ate, uh, he mumbled a few words. They got Cordelia. Mom froze with her fork in midair. Mom and Dad shared a look, having a silent conversation. Mom returned to her meal with an uneasy wobble in her throat. Dad finished his meal, wiped his mouth, and then swam straight to bed. Mom tucked Narelle and me in extra tight that night and sent us to sleep with wishes of good dreams. So, of course, I snuck into that cave with Julian that night. What the hell is all this? He asked as he held the junk in his hands. It's beautiful. Look at it all. Dad's just hoarding it away? I picked up ship gears and golden coins and silver chalices. The treasure sparkled under the moon. I had rings on my fingers and golden combs in my hair when I realized Julian had swum away. Gup put that down. Julian sounded like my father. Stern. Serious. The treasure slipped from my hands and I felt like a child that had just been scolded. I turned to find him looming over a pile of more treasure. But these didn't sparkle. 
wooden poles with sharp metal on the ends. Nets. Harpoons. Your dad is right. These things are only good here, where no one can get to them. Let's go. <sighs> Julian, come on. Don't be such a rockfish, it's fine. I turned back to the treasure. I was enamored with the piles and piles of silver, green, and gold. How could the people who make such magnificent things be as bad as Julian and Dad think? Sure, they made weapons, but so did we. I stuffed a silver ring in my kelp tote before Julian grabbed my hand and pulled me from the cave. That was the night he kissed me for the first time. Huh. That silver ring stayed tucked under my sleeping mat until the early hours of the morning, when I was sure everyone was asleep. I rubbed my thumb over the band, admiring the rich purple gem in the center. It was so... pretty. Surface studies taught us some customs of humans, and the ring reminded me of it. To propose marriage, one human would propose to the other human with a ring. I let my mind imagine my marriage. Julian proposing with the ring. It fit perfectly on my finger. Uh, can you blame me? Surface studies made humans seem like benevolent, hard-working, inventive gods with their skyscrapers and their cars and, and now these splendous antiques. I, I always dreamed of seeing their land and talking with them and learning from them. Ugh, if I hear that firefly song one more time. That's better. Maybe that's why I came here. Really came here. Of course, I wanted my father to get better, but maybe I was propelled onto that beach by my fascination with the people up here. I wanted to see the humans for myself, see their splendor and know that they weren't like my father thought. They couldn't do this to him. But now I know Dad was right. Those humans in our textbooks, they don't exist. Humans go missing. They worship weird gods. They, they build aqueducts. They say they'll help you and then... Then they don't understand. They say they do, but... They made coffee for Poseidon's sake. That thing in the water, though. Is that human? Did the humans make that... monster? The ocean pulled me under because it needed my help, but it didn't make the difference clear. I saw the monster and it looked like... like me. Or... Things like me, undersea creatures, crabs, cuttlefish. Is this just another instance of the humans playing a sick joke on the ocean? Or did the ocean make that monster to deal with humans? Am I a monster? This morning, 
that same anger and darkness that clouded my mind when I came ashore returned, and all I wanted was to march to Xavier's house and drag him to the ocean and put him underwater and drown- Goodness, Isla. If I did something dangerous, it wouldn't have done anything to cure my family. It would have made me a monster. It would have made me human. We once more head into the air of the city and back into the rain, but we don't find ourselves warm inside again. Instead, we come across Avery trudging through the downpour, bait and filleting knife in tow, as she sets off to find the creature from the other night and, hopefully, the remainder of Dorothea's journal. Guilt is like a ticking time bomb. Tick, tick. It builds and it builds and it roots itself in your soul until you can't breathe. The way I see it, one of two things can happen next. I can fall under the weight of it all, or I can explode. I spent a lot of time trying to grapple with other people's guilt, convince them that there's this elusive third option, trying to tell them that it'll all be okay, that eventually, if they apologize and put in the work, they won't feel the crushing weight of guilt anymore, that one day they'll just wake up and be free. Frankly, that is a load of bullshit. Guilt follows you. Guilt eats away at you until there is nothing left. And no matter how hard I try to work through this guilt, it's there. Absolutely consuming me. What I don't know yet is if I'm going to fall or if I'm going to explode. I'm not a violent person, or at least I didn't used to be. I used to keep the tightest hold on this monster inside of me, only letting it out when it was convenient or when it suited me. And even then, only the parts of my abilities that were safe, easy. I caged the raven, clipped its wings, kept it prisoner for my entire life. Before this week, I'd never even had some of these darker facets of the raven at my disposal. These nightmares. I didn't know what I was capable of. I, I didn't understand why my grandma was always warning me to be careful. But I do now. This creature inside of me is so much more than I ever gave it credit for. It's capable of horrible things. I'm capable of horrible things. Tick, tick. If I hadn't spent so long hiding from my true nature, I could have mastered it a long time ago. I could have a better grasp on it by now. I wouldn't be powerless against whatever is going on in this town stupid thing never would have made it out of my attic alive and with that journal. I wouldn't be on my way to catch and gut a damn fish right now. 
before all this happened, I never hurt anyone. Sure, I'd push people and talk about their fears, their desires, their guilt. I'd convinced myself that I was helping them, that they needed someone to guide them through these big feelings and even bigger problems. But I never used their fears against them. I never exploited their guilt. I never caused intentional harm. Well, I guess I can't say that anymore, can I? Tick, tick. Now hurting people seems to be all I'm good for. Elsie, my grandma, whatever this creature is on the other side of all this. Jason, God, Jason. I know that it's not directly my fault what happened with his last assignment, but I can't help but feel like I played a hand in all of this. If I hadn't given him a ride, maybe he would have had to wait a day. He could have had more time to double check, to, to make sure. I, I could have done something. Guilt. He's feeling that guilt now, too. And I hate that. I hate that he's hurting, and I hate that I don't know how to help him. And I really do want to help him through this. Actually, for the first time, I want to help someone not because I'm trying to prove to myself that I can be good, but because I actually care about Jason. Like, really care. We can let our guilt consume us, or we can let it make us better. That's what I said to him. And damn it, I wish it was that easy. I wish I could ignore this guilt, ignore that voice in my head that tells me to give into it, to let go of that hold that I have on my power, to open the cage. I'm reaching a boiling point and it won't be long now. Tick, tick. I've spent my entire life trying to prove that I'm not a monster. The raven is a gift, not a curse, but I don't think I can believe that anymore. And I don't think I want to. I mean, how could I possibly think that what I am is a gift after seeing what I can do to other people? After seeing how badly I can hurt them? I mean, I forced that creature to live its worst nightmare. Using its vulnerabilities to bring it to its knees. And I liked it. I wanted to do it. I've forced myself to believe that I was good and safe, but that creature is afraid of the raven, and why would it be afraid of something safe? It wouldn't. And that's because I'm not safe. I am dangerous. <laughs> I let the raven take the wheel for one afternoon and nearly got my grandmother killed. I wouldn't be surprised if Jason gets an assignment with my name on it one day. Except, it doesn't have to end that way. That doesn't have to be how this story ends. I didn't do this out of malice or because it was fun. I did it to protect my friends and the people I love. The Raven is a curse. I know that now. But who said curses have to be a bad thing? That's just it. 
The danger doesn't come from the curse itself, but how you wield it. Tick. Tick. So yeah. Maybe the raven is a curse. Maybe my great-great-grandmother was right to be afraid of it. Maybe she was right to worry that the raven would take control. Maybe she let the guilt consume her. Maybe she fell under the weight, but not me. I won't let the raven control me, but I am done trying to control it. I'm not going to hold back anymore. My grandma is wrong. We don't need to be careful. We don't need to hide from what we can do. It will only corrupt me if I give it the power to, and I am tired of giving away my power. I'm done pretending that I am not exactly what I am. I am a curse. And I'm going to show these assholes what happens when the good guys fight dirty. I'm going to explode. Open the cage and finally let the raven free. Tick, tick, fucking boom. We drop into the nearby squall and torpedo through the choppy waves. We bound into the inlet of the aqueducts until we find ourselves outside a familiar door. As we enter, we watch a wooden chair fly and crash against the stone wall, breaking to pieces. God damn it! We hear a figure from behind scream. They waltz right in, take the effigy, and you just let them get away? We pan around to see a man shrouded by shadow. What good are you for if you can't even kill a couple of fucking kids? We hear the sound of hard plating scrape stone as the creature in the water emerges from the shadow and pins the figure who we now see to be Salvatore Cipriano to the wall by his throat. Hold your tongue before I take it, child. Or need I remind you what happened when Andreas addressed me that way? Now, I cannot be everywhere at once, you have many resources at your disposal. I suggest you utilize them, Salvatore. The creature releases him, and he slumps to the floor. The moment is nigh. Retrieve the effigy and the pendant. I'll focus on the children. The creature leaves Salvatore alone, clutching his now bruising neck as our vision goes black. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of These Silent Secrets. If you liked what you heard and you want to support us a little bit, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Obviously, super easy ones. You know, scroll down on whatever podcast you're listening to us on and um, leave us, you know, a, a rating, a review, uh, subscribe to us. All of that helps our metrics, boosts us, lets more people stumble upon us. And that helps us out a lot. So please, please, please. And thank you ahead of time. Another super duper easy way is just to tell some people about us. You know, if you hit the streets wearing like, you know, like the end is nigh sort of sign that some people like wear in like movies and stuff. But instead, you just say this show's really cool. Like people are going to be more inclined than like the person that's raving about the end of the world. So I'm making this more complicated than it needs to be. You can just tell some people and they can check us out and hopefully they like us. Please. That'd be awesome. If you want to go a little step farther, 
uh, give us a little more uh, love, some more support, maybe in the financial sense, you can do that at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can uh, donate to us monthly at a bunch of different tiers, get a bunch of different rewards, like being able to chat to us on Discord and a private server, getting like some real say in stuff that happens in the shows you love to listen to, going all the way up to a uh, monthly mug club that uh, you can get a sick mug from. That oh, They're all made custom by Chase Greenlee. They're all fantastic. Uh, highly, uh, highly recommend. If you want to check us out on social media, you can do so at thesilentsecrets.com or you can check us out on TikTok at thesilentsecrets or on Twitter at silentsecretpod. You can check us all out individually. You can find Nicole at Nicole Voice. You can find Marcus at Marcus RVO. You can find Mariah at underscore Mariah Clausen. You can find Freddie at Freddie underscore Pow Pow. And you can find me at that guy, Zach Rob. We'll be back in two weeks with another full length episode this time, I swear to you. But until then, may your secrets stay hidden and may you all be able to breathe out of your nose freely without obstruction. Unlike me, who has a deviated septum. Goodbye, everybody. This has been a Ghostlight Media production. I'm Ken Rollo, using he, him pronouns, playing Kai Riley, a.k.a. Ignition. Leo's life very much mirrors like if you think about being in the military the ai official twitter account is announcing a meet your hero contest starting today nobody's looking she's just going to like jump off of this like upstairs balcony to the stairs and see if you can safely teleport down she sticks landing just stumbles a little bit and then she's gonna make herself some waffles and a waffle maker downstairs they begin to shout lancer just wants us to back up he's not one of us he's just like one of the cops it is a nightmare for her to realize that in her head, she's being chased by five cops. These kids are in a flurry now. They're shouting, they're jeering. They were angry before. Now they've got that sort of righteous rage. This is Eastwind, an AAPI, Infinity City Story, an actual play using the masks, a new generation system from Magpie Games. Eastwind can be found by searching for Infinity City on your favorite podcatcher.